our Lord was masterful at being able to teach people on a level which they could understand. Our Lord was able to take situations which were current, which were before people that they could see, they could understand. His lessons were simple. His lessons were practical. His lessons dealt with the needs that people had. As we've been studying most of this summer from the Valley of Elah, we've talked about how David confronted the great giant Goliath and slew him, and in so doing, retained the honor of God's people. And also in so doing, he was a man showing his faith, his confidence, and his trust in God. We talked about the kind of situations that you and I must battle in our own personal lives. And there's a battle which I believe is a great challenge for so many of us. We sometimes don't want to think about it as if it may not come to us. This morning I want to talk to you about battling desertion. In 2009, Sergeant Bo Bergdahl was taken captive by the Taliban in Afghanistan, very near the Pakistani border. In 2014, there was a trade that took place between our government for Sergeant Bergdahl for five Taliban leaders who were being housed at Guantanamo Bay. When Sergeant Bergdahl returned to the United States, many people heralded him as a prisoner of war who was a model soldier. However, in 2015, it was revealed that Sergeant Bergdahl had walked away from his post, that he was, in reality, a deserter. And Sergeant Bergdahl was charged with a general court-martial, and his trial will be held in February 2017. He has not yet been found guilty, but he has been charged as being a deserter. The question that came to my mind when I first heard that was, why did he desert his company? These were men whom he had served with, whose lives depended upon him doing his job. Why did he desert his country? The people who had trained him, the people who placed him there and placed their confidence in him. Why did he desert his call of duty. He made a promise. That promise was that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. You know, this lesson is not going to be about Sergeant Bergdahl. But it was as our Lord did, for instance, in Luke chapter 13, as he talked about people that were from Galilee whose blood had been mingled with their sacrifices and he talked about the people on whom the Tower of Siloam had fell. And the Lord was looking and saying, look at that and let me make a point. Let me make a comparison, if you will. What if David, while descending into the valley of Elah, looked at Goliath and said, you know what, there are things that are more attractive to me than fighting this giant. Why should I worry about the reputation of the nation of my people, why not just walk on out the valley and be a deserter? And you say, well, David didn't do that. 
David's confidence, David's trust was in God, and absolutely it was. I want to talk to you this morning about battling desertion. Because the reality is, is that there is perhaps some of you sitting here today who next year, five years from now, will no longer be sitting here. You'll be doing something else, somewhere else, and you will have left the Lord and you will have left the church. And I don't want you to say on that day, well, nobody ever told me how serious it was to be a deserter. I want to talk about types of deserters. There's various reasons why people walk off. Then I want us to look at training from Scripture. You know, one of the things that every soldier goes through is some training to try to get him to understand the role that he occupies and the importance of his role. And then I want to look at some truths to be learned. Let's begin, first of all, with this idea of a deserter and what types there are. The great football coach Vince Lombardi once said, Winners never quit and quitters never win. I thought that was a very applicable point to be made with regards to deserters. Deserters never will win because they're quitters. They walk away from the Lord and there will never be a reward of good for them. On the other hand, there are some people who when faced with all kinds of trials, tribulations, and things going against them will remain faithful and true to the very end. As we start thinking about the types, the first one is a traitor. Now, a traitor is a bad word. We say traitors deserve to be shot. There are people who have become a traitor to our Lord. I want to talk to you about some of them. The first one I'd like to talk to you about is a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. Oh, you know him well. Do you know what kind of man Judas was? He was a kind of man that would be a traitor to the Lord for money. I know he was a thief. You remember in John 13 where it says that Judas used to take what was put in the money box? In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15, he said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. A month's wage. 30 pieces of silver. And you can have our Lord. Boy, you're talking about what's called the bargain of Judas. To sell out for 30 pieces of silver. Oh, that's a traitor, all right. Some people look and they can say, if there's money in it, I will leave. I dare say that there'll be some people who it won't be long that will have an offer to them. Here's your money. Here's being able to go to church. Oh, here's more money. But here's the opportunity to, to rear your family in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And you know what many people are going to say? Hey, give me that weekend hours. Give me that so I can be able to make more money. And you actually end up becoming a traitor to the Lord. Demas, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 16, 
Paul is in a terrible situation. He's discouraged. He's tired. He's depressed. If I go to that text, if you will look with me at verse 15, he says about being aware of Alexander, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged to them. Paul said, I don't have anybody standing with me. Where are all these good men? You go back to verse 10. He says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. I don't know what was at Thessalonica that attracted him so, but I know that whatever it was, this present world offered more to him and he became a traitor of our Lord. I think about the prodigal son. Oh, you'll remember Luke chapter 15, a man had two sons. And you'll remember the father reared those sons basically the same. The older son was always there, always did what his father wanted him to do. But Luke's record says the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He betrayed his father, his rearing. He was a traitor. You know, sometimes in life, we want to have fun. We want to say... If there's just some joy out there for me, I want it. And if I have to walk away from my parents, and if I have to walk away from my rearing, and if I have to walk away from those people I love, so be it, because I want to have fun. That's being a traitor. But another kind of person who deserts is a coward. And all there are plenty of them in the Bible as well. You remember Revelation 21 and verse 8? Most of us remember that passage from that last phrase, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is second death. But do you remember what the very first category of people he talks about? The King James American Standard uses the word fearful. The word means to be a coward. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone. When Moses was instructing the children of Israel, they're about ready to go into the promised land. And he's trying to say that when it comes time to go and fight... That if there's a man who's bought a house and he's not dedicated it, or he's married a wife and he's not spent time with her, and then he gets to another category of people and he says, the officer shall speak to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren be faint like his. Oh, you see, not only are the people who are cowards, but they're so cowardly they infect other people. And Moses said, we don't need people like that. 
We don't want somebody fighting on the front line who says, oh, I'm scared to death and I'm going to run and take others with me. Do you remember when Gideon was to choose his army? He had 32,000 men. And in Judges chapter 7 and verse 3, we learn that 22,000 of the people returned with 10,000 remaining. Those people who were fearful and afraid. When our Lord sent the disciples on the limited commission in Matthew 10, He explained all the things that they were going to encounter and some of them were going to be really challenging. And he comes and concludes in verse 28, And do not fear him who is able to kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Look and realize who you have the greatest respect and fear for. Is it for God or for man? Perhaps, though, the best passage I could think of to talk about a person who was just plain afraid was in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. You know what was interesting in the first century? In the time in which Jesus walked on this earth, there were a lot of people who heard him speak and believed what he had to say. They were willing to acknowledge the fact that he was the Son of God, but not openly. John records, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Let me tell you where some of this begins. There's some people who will be standing in a crowd of people. And the Lord's church will be maligned. And there will be people speaking badly about God and about the church. And there will be a believer among them. Quiet as a church mouse. Because he's too afraid to speak up. A third category of deserters are the frustrated this is perhaps the saddest of the categories. You know those who are traitors. You know those who are cowards. But these are people who have been diligent at some point in their life. Maybe they've taught a Bible class. Maybe they've been the ones who've gotten up and led singing or led the prayers. But they're no longer here anymore. Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. These are people who don't give up after a long period of time. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he said, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. If there's one section of Scripture that I could think of that addresses this the best. It's the book of Hebrews. 
In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, I literally like the idea of the word, falling away from the living God. But exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, lest you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. You get to chapter 10, verse 24, he says, And let us consider it to one another in order to stir up Love and good works, if you're reading the older translation, provoke one another to love and good works. Part of what you and I are doing here this morning is to encourage one another to not give up, to not give in. In Luke 8 and verse 13, those who are on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root who believe for a while and in a time of temptation, fall away. Oh, they've been there for a while. But they get frustrated. They get tired. They quit. Regardless of the temptation, we must make sure that we do not desert the Lord. Now, if, if you step back for just a few moments and you start saying, is there any training is there any message in Scripture that can help me be able to do a better job, to not give up, not give in? I want you to go with me in your Bibles for just a few moments, and this is one that you want to turn to. The book of Numbers, chapter 32. Numbers, chapter 32. I will tell you, I'd love to be able to study the whole chapter, and maybe at some point in the future we'll take Numbers 32 as a whole lesson in and of itself. But for the purpose of this lesson, I want to draw your attention to what was taking place. I want you to remember that the children of Israel, as they are ready to cross over into the promised land, have a group of people that have a part of the land that's more suitable to them than others. It says the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock. Now having visited that general area, I can tell you one thing that you will notice. North, what we call northern Israel, the land around the Sea of Galilee is a lot like middle Tennessee. Beautiful green territory. And as they came there and they saw all of that beautiful green territory, they said, this is where we want to stay. But mind you, it's on the east side of the River Jordan. The Jordan River really was the line of demarcation which they were going to cross over into the Promised Land. Verse 4 says, The country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, Therefore, if we have found favor in your sight, let the land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Now listen carefully to this. Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over to the land which the Lord God has given them? Here you are. You've got this beautiful land. Great for grazing your livestock. But you're not going over into the promised land to help your brethren. Drop down to verse 16. 
They came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds for our livestock, cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. They said, we're going to go. We're going to fight. We're going to help them get their land. Now, I want to drop down to verse 23 because of time. Moses says to them, if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and your sin will find you out. Oh, you promise, oh, I'll fight with you as long as you help me get what I want. But when it comes time to help you, they said we'll help you. Moses said, if you don't do it, your sin's going to find you out. Now, here's some observations from that. There's a mutual obligation to defend the whole. Sergeant Bergdahl was responsible as a watchman to watch for the rest of his company. You and I have to realize that we have a mutual obligation to one another in the Lord's church. Paul illustrates it in 1 Corinthians 12 like a body. And not every part of the body has the same function. You and I have to realize if I desert the Lord, I'm not only hurting myself, I'm hurting everyone else around me. When you look and you see an empty spot on a pew and you know that there's someone who sat there and now they have quit... They've given up on the Lord. What did that say to them? What does it say to us? Our failure is a sin that we'll find us out. We dare not give up on serving the Lord. Let me carry to another chapter 32, this time in the book of Exodus. If you'll remember, Moses has returned from the top of the mountain. He comes down, he finds noise in the camp. He tells Joshua, you know, look. And Joshua says, well, maybe it's, you know, there's happiness there. And Moses recognizes it's not. He goes down and Aaron has made a golden calf. And everybody's falling down and worshiping that golden calf. Moses is angry because of that. He takes that golden calf, he grinds it up, he puts it in the water and makes them drink it. That's not where the punishment stops. Exodus 32, verse 26, Then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And there was a slaughter. Those responsible were slaughtered because of their idolatry. See, what you have to realize is you and I sometimes make a decision. Whose side are we on? For whom are we serving? We serve God. I want to refer to Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 10. The New King James reads, Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from blood. If you're reading the American Standard or the New American Standard, cursed be the one who does the work of the Lord 
negligently. That's the correct translation. It's a person who is given a task, but then he doesn't fulfill that task. Here's a person who is charged with battle, and what does he do? He doesn't get his sword bloody. There's some of us who have this idea that we don't have to engage the enemy, the devil. But yet it is not a carnal conflict. I'm going to move on to the final point, truths to be learned. I asked Brother Caleb to lead the song, To Christ Be Loyal and Be True. His banner be unfurled. The idea of the fact that you and I must be loyal and faithful to God. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, else will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And then chapter 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If I could communicate one thing to you this morning, it is the fact that you and I deserve to be loyal to God, faithful to God. And you have to realize what that may cost. Sometimes it may cost a little bit of embarrassment. Believe me, I have been there. I've been embarrassed publicly before because of what I believe. I can vividly remember sitting in a fifth grade class being mocked by my teacher because I was a member of the Church of Christ. Didn't stop me. I dare say that probably wouldn't happen today. Possibly could. But that's nothing compared to what some have endured. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, yes, one of those verses that we use often, he says, Do not fear the things that you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you'll have tribulation ten days. Now listen carefully to the latter part of that verse. Be faithful up to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. The idea is is that you be willing to be faithful to God if it takes your life. Chapter 12, verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. I don't know. The time may come and swiftly approach, which some of us may have to give our lives for being a Christian. You know, you don't want to think about any of those young men and young women who go into battle who are deployed in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places of danger. Some of them may be called upon to sacrifice their own lives for the good of their company, for the good of their nation. But you see, one of our problems is we have not fully grasped the stakes of the conflict. For what are you and I fighting? Are we fighting for some oil? Are we fighting for money? Are we fighting for power, for prestige? What is it for which man fights? What is it that for a Christian are we fighting? 
In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid out for me a crown of righteousness. Oh, it's all about eternity. It's not about 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. No, no, no. It's about eternity. But let me tell you, there's another lesson to be learned. Just like the prodigal son was a traitor to his father, a traitor to his raising. And yet when he decided it was time for him to come home, you know what the father did? He ran out, he welcomed him back home. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. God is looking for us to come back if we have deserted him. The book of Hebrews was written to prevent defection and desertion. Don't leave, don't leave, please don't leave. Because as you battle for the souls of men, you're not only battling for the souls of others, you're battling for your own soul. And you've got to be convinced of that cause. There's two things we, we will end with is the part of the invitation. And that is that you can be a part of the Lord's army. You know, there are people now who enlist because they volunteer. They say, I'm willing, I'm ready to serve. Are you in the Lord's army? If you've not yet become a Christian, you're not yet in His army. You need to be enlisted to fight for the Lord. If you've been away away without official leave, if you have been a deserter, you can return, but you will have to repent. I don't want to soft sell or soft soap the idea of desertion because it's very serious. But if you're genuinely repentant and God knows your heart, you know your heart, and you know what you need to do, all we plead with you, as the Lord pleads with you, come back home. Would you come while we stand and sing?